We're so happy that you've linked into Transforming Truth. The message you're about to hear is part of a new series that we are airing, and the series is called How God Works With You. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And as we look at the kingdom of God, we need to understand His word, yes. His works, yes. But a lot of people don't understand His ways, so they misunderstand what He says and what He's doing. So this series is going to help you understand how God works with you. I want you to turn with me in the Old Testament to the book of Joshua and chapter number five. Uh, for a few weeks now, we've been following the children of Israel um, from their wilderness wanderings to the banks of the Jordan River. Last week, we crossed the Jordan River, and this week, I want to pick up in a um, kind of almost a parenthetical passage from Joshua 5 that really doesn't get a lot of press. Um, there's so many titanic passages in the book of Joshua. And what I'm about to read to you today, I was just captivated by it, um, I believe two weeks ago, and really felt uh, compelled by the Lord to share this with you. The name of the message is Four Kingdom Seasons. And it's very important that you and I recognize what season the Lord has us in. Um, we are all in Christ. He is the only one. He is the Savior. We are all in Him. We are all inheriting, um, in, in a certain sense, the, the same inheritance. We are going to be with Him forever. We have presently eternal life, and that eternal life, which is primarily the quality of life, we often think of it as the duration of life, but it's more than just ever living. It is the quality of life. We have Christ's life within us. We, he is our life. And so when, when, we, when we think about the fact that we have the same inheritance, we have the, the same Savior, but there is a lot of variety in how God works among His children. In the room today, there are hundreds of people, and among those hundreds of people, there are hundreds of different places and lessons and leadings that the Lord is performing in our lives. Uh, we are not all on the same exact chapter and page in this book of, of life that he is, he is writing with himself as the central figure and, and us being participants in that story. He, he's got us in different places. And so depending on who you are and where you are, you're going to be in a different season than the person sitting next to you. You two will be in a different season than the person sitting behind you, and so on and so on. It's very important that we recognize the, the primary season that we are in. And the reason why is because God has different intentions in these different seasons. And one of the things that I've learned over the years, and it took me quite a while to learn this, and I'll be honest with you, I learned a lot of it the hard way. I learned that I was trying to accomplish something in a certain season that wasn't consistent with the season that God had deposited me in. He was working to do this, and I was working under the assumption of doing this, and ended up feeling like this. It'll drive you mad. And the reality is, is it took a lot of um, bruising for me to come to the recognition that I must learn to discern regularly where does God have me right now? And so as I preach on these four seasons today, let me give you a couple of disclaimers. You're going to be in a specific season more than the other three, but that doesn't mean that God isn't ministering portions of the other three into your life. But you need to leave today knowing this is the primary season I'm in. The other thing that I want to share with you today is that I believe God has Newbridge Church in a season. 
And it's important that all of us recognize what the season is for our church. Interestingly, the season for your home church, the collective faith family at Newbridge, is not necessarily going to be the season you're in. I'll tell you right off the bat, the season the church is in right now is not the season that I'm in, but I'm a part of the church, and so I need to be aware of that as we interact and we relate and as we worship and we serve together. And so there are a lot of layers to what I'm going to share with you today, but I hope this, I hope more than anything that you'll leave here today saying, I see what season I'm in now, therefore I'm better equipped than when I walked in to now walk out and understand what the Lord is doing in my life. And so with those preface thoughts in mind, I want you to look with me in Joshua 5. And if you're physically able to stand to your feet, would you do that in order to honor the opening reading of God's Word? Joshua 5, I'm only going to read verses 6 through 12 today in this message that is titled, uh, Four Kingdom Season. Joshua 5, 6, For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness, until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain, and the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of that land, the land of Canaan, that year. Father, open... Lord, minister to our spirits. Lord, we need this as deep as it can go in us today. Father, bring the mind and the heart with it, but God, get a hold of our spirit today and let something be embedded in us that will bring clarity to specific life situations that will blow out the clouds of doubt and that will uproot those stumbling blockades that the enemy puts in our path. Help us to hear you today in Jesus' name. Amen. And be seated. So it's a little weird to talk about circumcision. I get it. We're, for the most part, grown-ups in here. If you're not aware of what circumcision is, mom and dad, you have conversations to have with your young people. I'm going to spare us the details, but the reality is, is that this act, which is in our day a medical act, was an act in the Bible times that had incredible spiritual significance. And there's application for you and for me today. I'm sensing the Lord wants me to 
shepherd us through this this morning. So much of the study as we've looked in these passages surrounding Joshua and Israel and the Jordan River and the will of the Father to move them from Egypt to the wilderness and from the wilderness into the promised land. So much of it has been just kind of a, a full of testosterone, spiritual testosterone. It's just been amped and emphatic. But this morning, it's probably going to be a little more deliberate and so my prayer for you is that um, in the absence of the, the shouting and the, the oomph this morning, you won't lose the content of what's being shared as I teach. Four seasons, four seasons. Each of us are going to find ourselves in one of these four seasons, primarily in one of these four seasons. And I, I will tell you again that there will be other parts of what I share in other seasons that will resonate with you too. But what you're looking for today is the Father to answer this question. Lord, which is the primary season in which you are working with me right now? And so let's look at it, beginning in verse number 6 with what I call seasons for purging. Remember the history of Israel. Well, let's read the verse first. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness with all, until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. And the Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. A little biblical history lesson here. Remember that God had promised Abraham a lineage, and he had promised under that lineage that there would be a land. Israel would have their own place. And yet Israel had spent four centuries in captivity under pharaohs and their taskmasters there. They were slaves, and they had no land of their own. They had no freedom of their own. They, they called out to God for four centuries with no great mighty move of God until God raised up one of their own, a man named Moses. And Moses, at the age of 80, came down to deliver the people of Israel out of Pharaoh's hand. And so through many signs, many wonders, the plagues, all of that that befell Egypt, God split the Red Sea, Israel crossed over on dry land and began making their way in a journey that should have taken a little over a month, maybe 40 days to get from where they were into Canaan land that they had been promised. And yet they came right up on the brink of Canaan land. And the leaders looked into Canaan land and spied it out and came back and said, the obstacles are too high. There's no way that we can go in and defeat their intimidating cities and slay their towering giants. They had no faith. God had not told them to decide whether or not to go in and take the land. He had told them to go and come back with a report of how to take the land because he had given them the land. But they came back and said, we can't do what God says we can do. And so God allowed them, instead of 40 days of a journey, 40 years of wandering. This is the season of purging. This is how God works in a certain season in our lives. And in my opinion, they are, and I'm not talking to unbelievers here. I'm talking about this season being for believers I'm talking about when there are promises spoken over our lives, manifold promises in the Word of God, and oftentimes prophetic words that have been given and have been solidified and verified by people that know us and love us, and yet there is that temptation to come up to those promises in the moment of appropriating them by faith and then to say, I don't think I can do what God has said I am to do. And because that happens, not once or twice in a believer's life, 
but it can happen frequently. God allows a season of purging. What does it look like? Well, first of all, God will patiently process us. Let me say that again. God will patiently process us out of our lack of trust and obedience in him. For Israel, it took 40 years. What did that look like? It means the whole people group had to wander in the wilderness until literally all of those in the generation of adult men, 20 years and older, had to die off. They represented the unbelief in Israel. All of them had to die in the wilderness. And so God allowed the entire nation, men, women, and children, to go through this process where he was purging unbelief from the nation. It was slow. It was dry. It was unimpressive. It was not fantastic. And basically, they, you, can, you can do it like this. They wandered around in circles, getting nowhere, expending the energy, expending the effort, but making zero progress. And the reason why is because God could not give them what he wanted to give them until their unbelief was purged out of them. So he allowed them to go through those wilderness wanderings. Now, my friends, it's a little different for you and I because we're not subjugated to 40 years of walking in a literal desert. But there are aspects of you that believe, and there are other aspects of you that don't believe. They won't believe. It's not that they can't believe. There are aspects within us that struggle to believe God for certain things. And when God wants to take you into the fullness of your inheritance, it will not be appropriated through unbelief. And so he will allow seasons to come and sap out the unbelief. It is a breaking season. It is a reducing season. It is at times a rattling season where you are shaken and everything you can lean on falls away and you're left with nothing except standing before a holy God saying, God, I've got nowhere to lean. I've got nowhere to turn. Lord, what are you doing? And he says to you and he says to me, I'm getting rid of the unbelief. I want you to learn to trust me. What he did for Israel in corporate status, he does for us in an individual status. Now, this is also known as discipline. It is not punishment. Listen to me on this. God's discipline of us is indicative of his love for us. And only through obedience can we encounter his place for us. You see, you might be tempted to think, well, why doesn't God just make it happen? Well, because he's not the genie you think he is. That God is much more interested in you and he doing something together than he is for you just receiving something he does and you're ignorant or independent of him. God loves partnership. God wants to walk with you. God does not want you to live for him. He wants you to live with him. He doesn't, he's not interested in sending you forth on like an errand boy or an errand girl. He wants to walk with you through all that he has planned for you and the fullness of his destiny, the best that God has for you in order to bring you to a place of faith and trust and obedience. He has to bring discipline into your life. That's when he doesn't give you what he wants or excuse me, what you want. Now, I'm sure none of you have ever pouted before the Lord, but just for testimony's sake, and I'm, maybe the people on the podcast, maybe they need this. I'm sure you don't, but uh, have, has there ever been a chance where God, you know what you want, you're calling out to God, and God's just saying no? For me in my life, my personal testimony is that I'm actually, in, in those times, I'm calling out for the wrong thing. I'm not recognizing what season I'm in. I'm asking God to work as if we were in this season together. And what he's doing, he's trying to say, Jeff, 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 you don't understand. This is a purging season. 
You think this is a receiving season, but it's not, Jeff. It's a purging season. You're wanting me to give, but actually I'm working to remove right now. And he does that because he loves us. The problem is, is we don't like delays. Now listen, would you rather be in a lush, fertile field in the promised land or suck in the sand in desert? You and I want to be in Canaan land, but God says, yeah, Canaan land is gained entrance to by trust and obedience. And so the Lord has to discipline us at times. And frankly, there's a process. There was a 40-year process for Israel and the process for you and I, depending on what it is he's purging from us and how cooperative we are with the process, who knows how long it can take. All I know is this, they come to an end for me when I finally reach that broken point of full surrender and I say, whatever you want, whatever you want. You know, we don't sing this song very often. It's probably good because I've never really felt like most churches were being honest when they sang it. We sang it in the prayer room today. It felt right in there. But, but I surrender all. I surrender all. I surrender all. No, you don't. No, you don't. Most people, when they say that, are just singing it, and we're not realizing, here we are, let's lie in four-part harmony before the Lord. Surrender all? Man, you wouldn't even let that person get your parking space in the parking lot this morning. (laughs) Talking about surrendering all. And so the, the point is, is God knows how to get us to a place where we will surrender all. And sometimes that's during a purging season. The third thing about this, and then I want to move on to the second season, is that God's place for us, our Canaan, our place of inheritance, his place for us provides something greater for us. Listen, manna was wilderness food, and it got them by, but milk and honey was their destiny. You see, God's not trying to make your life in the desert more comfortable. He's actually trying to get you out of the desert and into the land of promise because what he has ahead of you is better than where you are now and better than where you came from. You have to believe that by faith. One of the most miserable moments in life is where you say, well, I peaked 10 years ago. It's all downhill from here. I don't believe that that's consistent with what the scriptures reveal. I believe that actually the best, both on earth and in heaven, is ahead of us. And I believe that part of what keeps us motivated and following the Lord and cooperating with him and walking through whatever season we have with him is the reality that we believe he's a good God and he knows what he's doing. And no matter what I'm seeing or what I'm sensing or what I'm feeling or even what I'm experiencing, I know that he is working all things together for my good. And so we, we recognize that, you know, manna was for a season. We'll come back to this in a minute. Manna, that little daily bread, that, that stuff that dropped out of the sky, the little barely flavored wafer that just would be there in the morning. They'd pick it up, they'd eat it. It was miraculous. It was amazing. It was astounding. It kept them alive. But God was actually done with that and trying to get them to the place where they would thirst and hunger for greater things. You know, friends, be careful that we don't hide under the banner of contentment. Sometimes we can do this. Well, I'm just content in Jesus. Uh, Well, listen, don't hide um, a lack of thirst, a lack of hope, a lack of initiative, a lack of urgency, a lack of, of passion. A lot of people hide those lacking things under the banner of content, and it's basically a stoic mindset. It's like, I don't care what happens. You know, the Lord's in control. He's sovereign. My friends, the sovereign Lord of heaven has invited you to journey with him through various seasons, and he wants to complete something in the purging season because he's destined you for something better than where you are right now. All right, y'all don't believe me, but I'm hoping you will by the end of this message. Second season. Second season. Seasons for consecrating. 
So we left that generation of men who did not believe the Lord, and they died in the wilderness. Israel was now purged of their representative unbelief. God allowed it to die. The very last one died, and now they were going to cross over. They had crossed over into Canaan land. Now now that they're over the Jordan River, there was the second season that needed to happen. What was it? A season of consecration. This is where we deal with the delicate subject matter of the circumcision, and hopefully we can understand the spiritual application. Look in verse 7. So it was their children, the children of the men who died in the wilderness, whom God raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised. They were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And when the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I've rolled the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. A couple of things to recognize in this passage. The sign of the Abrahamic covenant was for the males to be circumcised on their eighth day. It was unique to the Jewish people primarily, at least for the purposes that God gave. It was an outward sign of an inward covenant. And so while in Egypt, even the Egyptians had a practice of circumcision, we we can't say that nobody was circumcised in Egypt, but what we can say is during the wilderness wanderings, nobody was circumcised. None of the boys that were born were circumcised. And so now, 40 years later, there was a whole generation of males that needed to be circumcised. Why is this important? Because it wasn't simply a medical procedure that you can say yes or no to. This was a seal of the covenant of Abraham. It was a visible sign that said we as a people uniquely belong to the God of Abraham, that we are in covenant with Abraham. And so for 40 years in the wilderness, that emblem of consecration had been done away with. You know, it is kind of fitting because when we're in the wilderness, we're not really consecrated unto the Lord. We might, as Pastor Dustin said earlier, be safe in God's hands when we're in the, when we're in the wilderness, but we are not living consecrated lives unto him. Why? Because he's purging us from our unbelief or our disobedience. And so when they crossed over, all of them come over just within a couple of days of the entire nation going over. They've got battles to fight. They've got enemies to kill. They've got land to appropriate. They've got glory to bring to God. And before they are able to even uh, launch off into the first task ahead of them, God says, wait a minute. Joshua, consecrate them. Let them remember the one to whom they belong. So let's look at this act of circumcision, and I'll keep it G-rated here, but I hope that you'll understand. The first thing that I learned from this passage in verses 7, 8, 9 is this lesson. If we won't, God has someone else who will. Where do I see that? It was their children whom he raised up in their place. Watch this. God intended 40 years prior for Israel to cross over into Canaan land. But he wasn't going to do it for them. He wasn't just going to make it happen. He wanted their trust. He wanted their obedience. He wanted their faith. And they said no. And so the penalty they paid in that generation is they never got into the promised land. They literally died in the desert. And so what did God do? God didn't say, wow, sorry guys. 
no plan B here. No, the Lord knew that they would fail, and God raised up in their place another generation that would take it. I think about this a lot. I think about what my generation has missed. I think about what the generation, my dad's generation, missed in the kingdom. And I think that my generation saw some of the things my dad's generation missed and, and said, we will not miss these things. And I believe that my children's generation sees things in my generation in the kingdom, and they'll say, dad's generation is missing this. We will not miss it. The beauty of the kingdom is this. We're all moving on the same trajectory, but God is never at a loss. When, when the people of God fumble, God never fumbles. And when we won't, God has somebody that will. I want us to think about this. When God offers us something, friends, we're not doing him a favor by saying yes to it. When God offers us something, it is for his glory and our good. But if we're not careful, we will hijack that thing that he offers. We will overthink it. We will rationalize our way through something that was meant to be faith and spirit. And we will come to the conclusion that God must have made a mistake. What he's asked me to do, what he's offering to me, there's no way I can do it because of thus, thus, and thus. And God says, I love you, child, but if you won't do it, she will. It's a beautiful thing. You know, remember the story of Esther. Mordecai calls her in and says, you've got to go in and deliver your people. You've got an entrance under the king. Go in there and give a defense and, and, and intercede for your people. And Esther initially vacillated a little bit. And Uncle Mordecai, he got intense with it. He says, just know this, if you won't do it, God will make sure that there is somebody who will do it. Fortunately for Esther, that was all she had to hear, and she went in and she took care of business. But it's the same thing here. What one generation missed, the other generation learned from that mistake and said, we won't miss it. The other generation had to walk in wilderness too. Even though it was their parents' generation that fumbled it, that generation said, we will not make the mistake that our fathers made. And so God raised up that generation. Now, let's talk about what we can learn from this actual act of circumcision. I'll give you this. Consecration, typified by the circumcision that is specified in these verses, it involves a, a, a cutting away, a remaining where you are, and a necessary healing and strengthening. That's exactly what's told in these verses uh, the cutting away is very evident. That's what circumcision is. There is a painful act, and you got to remember, these weren't baby boys. These were grown men, some of them in their 40s, and they had to submit to this act of consecration. And so the skin is cut away in a very delicate, sensitive area, and obviously there's blood, there's pain, there's swelling, there's all of that that goes, around, goes along with it. And so there's the removal of something. When we're talking about consecration, hear me on this, moving from the phys physical to the spiritual. In a season of consecration, trust me on this, God is removing some things from our lives. He's taking some things away that we've had, that we've been used to, that we've trusted in, that have been a part of our lives. And in that act, in that season of consecration, God comes in and says, I'm going to cut some things away from your life. I'm going to remove some things from your life. Now, listen, we've still all got a little two-year-old in us. I encourage you, volunteer in our children's department from time to time. I really do encourage you. We, we need some help down there. Some of you responded last week, but I, we need more. And when you're down there, and especially when you're in the, that age group from about two to five years old, watch what happens when somebody takes something from them. Yeah, the depravity of man on full display. 
and, and you can hear it sometimes echoing through the, the, uh, the vents into the sanctuary. It's mine, mine, mine. Sounds like Attila the Hun, but it's actually your three-year-old down there saying, give me my toy back. And so the point is this, is we don't like things to be taken from us. Jesus said it's better to give than to receive, and we're still wanting to move a second and a vote on whether or not we believe that. We prefer to be the recipients. We want to receive. And, and listen, that is so much of the American way, so much of a, a 21st century humanistic, secular worldview to get and get and get and get. And that's why most people, even most people in the church, are spinning their wheels trying to succeed in a system that only gains and never loses. And yet God, when he wants to make us into the image of Jesus, and God, when he wants to usher us forward into what the, that he has for us, the fullness of our destiny, the fullness of our inheritance, to come into our own land, if we can say that, the first thing that's got to happen is this season of consecration. And part of that season of consecration is he's going to remove some things. Unfortunately, a lot of believers can't even get past that first subpoint of the test. As soon as something gets removed... All hope is lost. Uh, nobody likes to lose things. We don't like to lose people. We don't like to lose possessions. We don't like to lose prestige or power or, or, or positions. We don't like to lose any of those things. But frankly, you're only given so much of a capacity by God. And if you've got that capacity filled with things that aren't part of God's plan for you, he has no choice but to remove them if you're ever going to receive what he has for you. The second thing is this, the season of consecration involves not only the cutting away, but it also involves stillness and staying where you are. We are a um, adrenalized generation. We are Red Bull and full throttle, and we are just all the time wanting to go and conquer and accomplish and achieve and it's just kind of woven into a lot of our DNA. And it may not fit you individually, but that is the culture that you're living in. And, and even in the church, this idea of progress at all costs. And we've, we've, we've confused at times uh, movement with accomplishment. We, we think, of, well, as long as we're moving, as long as we're going forward, as long as we're moving on to the next chapter, we're getting great things done. Not so fast. When times and seasons of consecration come, God says, I'm actually not going to let you progress right now. I'm, I'm actually taking some things away, and I just want you to be still. And I do want you to know that I'm God. And I want you to know that I'm still in charge. Some of you have raised, and again, the child-parent metaphor fits this whole message. Some of you have raised multiple children, and often in households of two or more children, you're going to have one that's extremely laid back and one that's Landon. That's my boy. And, uh, you know, we just came off a, a few days up in Tennessee, and he is literally planning the next day before we've begun that day. Because he is just, he makes coffee nervous. I mean, he is just, he's just, I mean, that's just the way he's wired. And I'm wired that way too. And what's amazing is I see it in him because I recognize how I must appear to my father, my heavenly father. And in seasons of consecration, God's often trying to refuel. He's trying to stitch up some things. He's trying to, to harness that stillness 
to get you strengthened. That's the third thing. He cuts away. He gets you still. He doesn't want you moving. He doesn't want you leaping. He doesn't want you hastily taking the, the open door that just pops open in front of you just because you can't stand sitting still. So you just say, it's an open door. I must be able to go through it. Not so fast. The devil knows how to open doors too. And so sometimes we have to just sit. In a season of consecration, the Lord says, just sit. And why? The third thing that's mentioned in those verses, he said they needed to be healed. Listen, I mean, I'm not making light of it, but that kind of medical procedure on, on, on a man, you're not ready to do the 40-yard dash. You need to sit and be healed. And when God takes something away from you, and he gets you still, he's not putting you in timeout because you were a bad boy or a bad girl. He's saying, you need healing and strengthening that you don't have yet. I'm going to make you sit there for a little bit longer. And it's love and it's wisdom. And in those seasons of consecration, friends, where he's taking away and he's calling us near to, to be with him, not to do for him, but to be with him, they're essential. If you are moving rapidly when God has you in a season of consecration... And you're not discerning, no, this is not a time for me to be going and going and going, or leaping and leaping and leaping. But I, I am to be loosing, releasing, and being still, and I am to being, uh, enter into willfully a season of being strengthened. You, you, you sometimes, friends, have to get real still for God to do the deepest work that he's going to do in your life. He'll turn you loose afterwards, but if you're not sitting still and waiting on him, you will get hasty. You will be premature in your decisions. And I say this carefully, you'll regret it later. You'll say, oh, and I've got, I've got probably half a dozen of these, these moments in my Christian life where I look back and said, he was actually calling me to consecration, and I thought he was calling me to action. And I moved in action when he was offering consecration, and the thing I acted upon fell apart, and I still had to go back and get the consecration that he eventually uh, gave to me but it was more of a do-over. It was a mulligan. So let me give you this. New beginnings, which is what Israel was going through, new beginnings are often connected to the completion of a consecration season. Their reproach was rolled away. That's what God said. The circumcision was typifying the fact that the Lord took their reproach off of them. Think of the reproach that was on Israel. I mean, they marched through the Red Sea. Pharaoh and his armies were drowned. The whole world knew what the God of the Jews had done. And yet that same God that got them out of Egypt apparently couldn't get them into their destiny. And so it was not only Israel's reproach, the, the God was robbed of glory. Why? Because Israel lived in for 40 years in reproach. Egypt reproached them. The other Ammonites and the Moabites and the surrounding territories reproached them as for 40 years they wandered aimlessly. But on this day, they were consecrated back onto the Lord. On this day, they had crossed over in obedience. On this day, there had been the reaffirmation of the covenant, uh, Abrahamic covenant, where they said, Lord, both outwardly and inwardly, we are your people. We have obeyed. We have believed. We have realigned ourselves with you. It is in essence, on the back end of this, it is a visible recommitment of themselves to the person and the plan of God. And that's what happens in consecration. You renew your vows to the Lord. You renew your part of the covenant. 
You affirm again, I am who I am by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am both a son or a daughter and a servant, but I am a saint of the Lord, and I will walk as a daughter or as a son of God. I will have my reproach rolled away. I have been consecrated unto you. Lord, you see my inward faith, and it's emblematic by my outward lifestyle. Friends, listen. Well, let me just come back to this because this is one of the seasons. Newbridge is right now in an overlapping season as a church, as a faith family. We are in this overlapping season of both consecrating and the next season, remembering. Verse number 10. Look in verse number 10. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. I I wish I had 30 minutes on this, and I don't only have a few. Passover was the feast and the time of remembrance that God had instituted through Moses to mark the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. And when they came through the, the Jordan River, crossed over, And shortly after the circumcising circumcising and the reaffirmation of their covenant with the Lord, they celebrated the Passover. They took time to remember. They literally put their hearts and their minds and their souls before the Lord in an expression, an elongated seven or eight day expression of gratitude and worship and remembrance. Now, for those of you that are practically minded, when there's wars to fight, when there's giants to slay, when there's an inheritance to receive and a land to subdue, if you're not careful, you'll give a token nod to worship. Oh, yeah, yeah, we, sh- we should worship the Lord. Yep, we should. We, yep, remember we're saved. And, and, but all you're doing is you're, you're just, you're kind of throttling the engine in park. You're just like, if I can get this baby in gear, I'm out of here. It was very important to the Lord that before they ever fought at Jericho, and by the way, that's, where, that's how close they were to their first battle. They were in the plains of Jericho, and God said, yeah, you've consecrated yourself. Now I want you to remember who I am and what I've done. Worship before warfare. God said, before you ever take a weapon up in your hands, I want to hear worship from your heart. So they would have had the Seder on that first night. And then there would have been an elongated period, a week, some seven days, some eight days, but more than likely a week of of just remembering who God was. Let me give us this as New Testament believers. Friends, intentionally remember your redemption and all else that God accomplishes for you. You will have to make time. One of the reasons that we gather together on Sundays is we remember who we are and what he's doing. That's why we gather. I I thank the Lord for technology and live stream, and I mean nothing disparaging by anybody that's watching on live stream. But if you're physically able to be in a local church and you're watching on live stream, I really want to encourage you to come and be a part of the faith family together. Why? Because there's a potency that's not transmitted through fiber optics. There's a presence there, there is the Lord himself moving. And I'm not saying that people at home can't worship. Listen, I believe in media ministry. What I'm saying is this, that when we come together, I, I like remembering him with you. 
I can remember him all day by myself, and I try to, but I, there's something about coming together. But it's not just on Sundays and Wednesdays. Friends, it's, it's when all of hell is breaking loose on you. Remember who he is and what he's doing for you. When you don't have answers, remember that he solved the biggest question in your life. The moment you met his son, Jesus Christ, and all other answers pale in comparison to the fact that he gave you the greatest answer, and he will give you the wisdom that you need as you walk with him. He promises. Intentionally celebrate what God has done for you. It's not a casual glance, but it's a committed gratitude. In seasons of consecration, God wants us to to diagnose just how grateful we are. C.S. Lewis said, the first step towards apostasy is an ungrateful heart. Friends, when you lose your gratitude, when Mr. Grumbles takes up residence in your heart, or Senora Nag begins to speak her voice through your lips, You need consecration, and you need remembrance. You need to know that the Lord is calling you back to that first moment that you shared together. What was it? It was gratitude when he said, I accept you, and you said, thank you. You see, the first impulse of a redeemed heart is gratitude. Um, One of the marks of the end times There's so many marks that Paul writes to Timothy about, and he says, look for this in the end of days, look for this in the end of days. And you know right there in the midst of them is this one, people will be unthankful. Don't let that spirit get up in you. How do we do that? We remember the Passover was their opportunity each year in the 14th day of the first month of the Hebrew calendar to say, remember what he did for us when we were slaves. Remember what he did for us when we were helpless. Remember what he did uh, for us when we were hopeless. Remember what a high hand and an outstretched arm came to us on our behalf and set us free. Remember what he did to our enemies. Do you remember what he did? And at Passover every year, they said, yes, we remember the season of that for us it really is important what we we have our minds on these days matter of fact romans 8 dorothy quoted this in the prayer room this morning she had no idea i'd put it up on the screen in my notes those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit to set the mind on the flesh is death But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And that's why intentionally remembering Him is essential. Set your mind on Him. Paul would write to the church at Colossae in chapter number 3, seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Then he would say again, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth, for for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall you also appear with Him in glory. See, friends, we want glory now. There's something in us. So let me just put on the prophet of a, uh, the, the, the mantle of a prophet for a moment. There's something within us that says, I don't want to wait. I, I don't want to sit still. I don't want to let him bring it to me. I can make this happen. And the mind engages. And we live in such an advanced culture. And human beings are more capable than any other generation because of the resources available to us, the education that we've received, the experiences that we've had. And we can. We can make stuff happen. And when we make stuff happen, 
There's a whole host of people who say, way to go, great job. And you'll have lots of people that are impressed with you. But the question is this, was, was all that is happening now from your decision, was that because your mind was set on the flesh or because it was set on the spirit? Because the mind that is set on the spirit is the mind of one who's going to live and not just exist, but live. But when we set our minds according to the flesh, death becomes our roommate. Trouble happens. Seasons of intentional remembrance will help keep us from that occurrence. Before I give you the last point, I want to say this. Consecration and remembrance always touch each other. You you really can't have one without the other. Because if you're truly remembering who God is and what he has done and what he's doing, you are in a state of consecration. Because an unconsecrated mind never thinks on who God is, never expresses gratitude. An unconsecrated person is, is just looking for the next open door. But a consecrated person says, I will remember you. And that remembering person and that consecrated person are the same. They overlap each other. Let me give you this. If you ask what season Newbridge Church is in, where God has shepherded us thus far, it is in an overlapping season of consecration and remembrance. I'll come back to that in a minute, but I want to tell you without a shadow of a doubt, that doesn't mean necessarily that's where you are but it does mean that's where our church is. I wish I could say that right now we're in this last season because this is where the getting gets good, but it's coming. We're not there yet, and you can't short-circuit consecration to hurry up and get into this next season, which is the season of receiving, verses 11 and 12. The day after Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land. And what they ate is described as unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Okay, this is a milestone. For 40 years, honey, what's for dinner? Manna. Honey, what do we got going for lunch? Manna. What about the weekend? Want to have some friends over? Oh, really? How about some manna and some manna? And on a good day, maybe a little quail, because there was the quail episode that Israel experienced also. But the point being is this. In the wilderness, everything was the same all the time. Now, it kept them alive, but it didn't make them feel like they were living. That that bread, and it was, I'm I'm not, I'm not, and Lord knows my heart, I'm not diminishing the significance nor the symbolism of the manna. I'm not, I'm not taking away from that. I'm, I'm putting it into practical terms. Israel was pretty quick to groan about the manna. Why? Because it wasn't anything really just robust about the way it tasted. It just nourished them. It kept them alive. And God had to purge them from their grumbling and, and complaining about the manna all the time. But the reality was, is they were complaining because there was no variety to it. It just got them by. And so in the land, in the wilderness, manna was indicative of surviving. When they crossed over into the place of destiny, when they began to walk in the fullness of their inheritance, when they had sanctified and consecrated themselves unto the Lord, when they had celebrated the Passover, then for the very first time in Israel's history, centuries of promise time hung over them, and the moment happened where they, as God's people, in God's place, ate for the first time of God's provision. 
in the land, they began to eat of the fruit of the land. This is the land where God says, um, it's going to be a land. Why don't we call it this, children? We'll call it the land flowing with milk and honey. It's a descriptor. It simply says this. It's a, it's a place like they had never seen. It wasn't like Egypt. It certainly like, wasn't like the wilderness of sin. It, it was like nothing they had ever seen. It was a fertile land that would have been suitable for all of their livestock. It would have been a land that would have provided both the, the bees, the natural bees, the honey bees, but also saps and syrups from some of the trees. It was a land that, that was just typified by luxury and abundance. It was God's gift to them. God had not destined them to live as slaves in Egypt. God had not destined them to live as faithless, moping, mumbling wanderers in, in, in uh, sand-sucking reality. God had said, I made you my people. I love to bless because I'm the best blesser that has ever been. You are the object of my affection. I'm going to get you into this promised land. And when I get you in, I'm going to turn you loose. It's yours. Have at it. Now, brothers and sisters, this is what I want to do. I want to ask you, do you leave room in your theology? Is there a space in your faith to believe that God has a place for the consecrated, grateful child of God who has been through the purging season, and now she steps over into that place of abundance? Do you have enough room in your theology for God to, you can picture God saying, hey, what do you want to do because it's all yours? Come on, child, this is all for you. Or is that orphan spirit raising up in you? Oh, not, not me, Lord. I, I, I was the one in the wilderness. I, Lord, I, I come from a long line of, you fill in the blank. My people are basically enslaved people. Uh, we, don't know, we don't know much about the kingdom. We don't know much about church. We, and, and God says, in essence, he says, yeah, I didn't really bring up your heritage. I'm talking about now and tomorrow. I'm not talking about your past. I'm talking about me and you right now. Do you want to cross over into this land? And do you want to taste some of the milk? What's interesting is this. I love this. God didn't give them a choice. Because the Bible says that the day they ate the first meal, God said, no more manna. <laughs> Alicia was seven years old. I always tell on Landon. Let me tell on Alicia. Alicia was seven years old, and we're driving down Lawrenceville, Swanee, and there was a Chinese buffet right over 85 off the Lawrenceville, Swanee Road, and it was called Manna Buffet. She was seven. She said, Dad, can we go there? I said, why do you want to go there? She goes, I've never had manna. <laughs> she literally thought manna was still a thing. God was done with manna after the wilderness. So what, what do we learn from this? First of all, this, Hebrews eleven six. 6, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, eagerly receive all that he offers you. It's not humble to say no to the Lord when he says, I want to give you this. It's not humble. It's unbelief. It's borderline hypocrisy. My friends, I don't think that there's enough of this. And, and go ahead and write me a nasty email if, if I start sounding like a prosperity gospel preacher to you. But I want to kind of counterbalance the, the poverty mindset in the church, the orphan spirit. Oh, no, well, I believe God does that for other people, not for me. Well, what made you so special? It's inverted pride. So, oh, God does it for everybody else, but not you because you're special in what way? 
No, it's not humility. Friends, listen, he's not going to run out of blessings. He's not up there saying, I got to allocate this carefully because if I give too much, I'm, I might come up short in the end. No, 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 no. That, that might be your earthly father, but that is not your heavenly father. And so it's in his heart to bless and he's glorified and he can entrust blessings to those of us who have gone through the seasons and now he, he wants to invite some of us to enter into a season of receiving. You say, well, Jeff, well, what does that mean? I don't know. Ask him. I'm just a messenger. They're not my gifts. They're not my destiny. They're, 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 it's not something I or Dustin or any leader can give you. We're just simply pointing to you to a benevolent father that says, I wish my children would just believe that I'm really as good as I say I am. And so, and so instead of begging and wincing in case he says no, we come boldly before that throne and we say, Lord, let me lay this out before you. Or, or when God sovereignly begins to bless and he begins to move and he begins to put fruit into our account and we see things begin to change and we're not sensing the dryness of the wilderness and we're not waiting for the next hammer blow to fall upon us and, and the skies brighten up a little bit. Some of y'all had not seen bright skies in so long. It's because you're trained, you've trained yourself to always look for the clouds. And there's always a cloud out there, but I'm going to tell you something. If you'll just start expecting God to be God and to be God means to be good. Instead of this religious mindset that always says, oh, no, nope, God's good overseas, or God's good to the special people. My friends, God has never been impressed with any of us. He, that's just, he's never said, wow, that's, that's, that's not in his vocabulary when it comes to us. He loves us, but, but I, just want, I just want you to be dared to press into him. Listen, what did he mean when he said he rewards those who diligently seek him? Well, diligently seek him and find out. Church, what are we doing? What are we doing? We are diligently seeking him. Guess what I expect? Reward. I absolutely do. Salvation is free by grace. Reward, my friend, you got to press in. You got to press in. And it comes to those who do it diligently. Not to those who press 30 seconds on the spiritual microwave and wait for it to pop out perfectly served. That, that's not diligence. So when we look at this, the manna, I, I promise you I'm almost done. The manna of getting by is not perpetually consistent with the offer of abundant life. Worship team, come on up. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I came that you might have abundant life. And if we're still living with a getting by manna mindset, manna fulfills its purpose. Manna is needed when we're being purged of unbelief. That is all sufficient grace. When we have nothing to offer, we have no answers. God will provide us manna. But as we come into consecration and we come into remembrance and we enter into receiving, we should lose our appetite for the manna. It doesn't mean we're not appreciative. Don't read me wrong on that. It simply means that we have had that from him, but now he is pleased to bring us greater things in our journeys with him. And friends, we have to hunger for that. Jesus, help me right here to close. Help me, Lord. Manna mindset is bad if God has determined to feed you milk and honey.
It's not humble, it's not holy, and it's not spiritual to say, that's okay, I'll just stick with the manna. I'm just going to get by until I go to the great by and by. Now, my friend, that's not good. God says this. I crossed you. I brought you out of Egypt. I split the Red Sea of judgment and you passed through upon my son. You've known what it's like to journey in the wilderness. But I purged your unbelief and disobedience. And you've reconsecrated yourself to me outwardly by a life that is committed. Holy living is not a passing thing, friends. Hear me on that. Part of the consecration, I'm going to have to follow this up at a different time. I really wanted to hit this this morning. God is calling Newbridge to holy living, holy words, holy things going into our eyes, our minds, holy things coming into our ears. And that means by by. Uh, converse, keeping the unholy out of our eyes, out of our ears, and never letting it come out of our mouth. He's calling us to holy living. That's part of the consecration. And when we're consecrated and we've said yes to him, he says, I want you to walk this land with me and everywhere you put your feet, I give it to you. It's a land that I've set aside, a destiny that I've set aside, a life that I've set aside, and I'm going to feed you every good thing that I want to feed you if you will just open wide your mouth and say, yes, Lord. Four seasons. A season of purging, a season of consecrating, a season of remembering, and Newbridge, hear me, it's coming, a season of receiving.